0: Hello, and welcome to The Hobby Shelf. This is a podcast where we talk about books, board games, and really anything that me and Brenna are interested in. This is episode three of the podcast, and today we're going to talk about how we experience stories.
1: I'm Brenna, a freelance editor and avid reader.
0: And I'm Oren, a fake English major with a concentration in board games.
1: So, Oren, what have you been playing lately?
0: Well, uh, like I said last week, I've been playing a lot of Fire Emblem Three Houses, although this week I did get the chance with you to play Scythe, which was one of the first recommendations that I made, or no, we talked about it in the very first episode. Mm -hmm. Really fun game um, where you are farming, but you're also running an empire in post-apocalyptic Eastern Europe. Uh, It's a great game, and uh, yeah, people should check it out. What have you been reading this week?
1: Well, this week I finished The Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling. Ooh. Yep. And I also, okay, this book is amazing and I already posted about it on Instagram and I think that everyone needs to read it. It's called Pet by Akwaeke Amazey. It's so good. It is a young adult fiction novel and, okay, I'm going to describe it, but I don't want to go too in-depth because I don't want to spoil anything and also I just (laughs) want people to read it. Okay. So... Basically, it's about this girl named Jam who lives in a town called Lucille. And in Lucille, there are no more monsters. And now the angels are in power. And it's not angels like from heaven angels. It's like angels as in people who were at the front of the revolution angels, if that makes sense. And No,
0: actually, what does that mean?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, as you read, you kind of figure out that when people are referring to monsters, monsters are people who have done bad things.
0: Ah, and angels who are people who have done good things. Yes. I see. Okay.
1: And put the monsters away.
0: I see. It's a metaphor.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Not an allegory. Anyways.
1: <laughs> um, but anyway, so Jam's mom is an artist and she paints this painting of this kind of scary looking creature. And one day Jam is in the studio and she gets some blood on the canvas and the blood sinks in and this creature comes out. And this creature's name is Pet, and it is here to hunt a monster. But like I said, there are no monsters left in Lucille, or at least that's what everyone is saying. Mm -hmm. So Jam has to kind of figure out why Pet is there. Is there Mm. actually another monster? And yeah, it's really good.
0: Hmm. So there are no bad people. Some mystical monster, no, not a monster, creature shows up and says that there is something bad going on.
1: Yeah. I think one of the main focuses of the book is on willful ignorance. Like one of the main themes is willful ignorance Mm. and how people only see what they want to see and will be in denial about other things that are important that they need to see even if it's not something they want to see.
0: You know, that's pretty relevant in today's society, I would say. Oh, super relevant. Um, With like the recent whole all those liberals with their climate change and I don't even remember her name but like the little girl who got up and was basically talking about it you know
1: Greta something
0: (laughs) Greta something yeah yeah because willful ignorance is something that our society suffers from Mm -hmm. for sure
1: and that's why I think this book is so important like I gave it five stars I read it in two days and it hit me so hard like my heart was constricting as i was reading it you know like it was physically affecting me because there are lines in there that are just so poignant i really think that everyone should read it it's a really fast read as well
0: yeah what was it called again
1: it's called pet okay yeah cool. and it's um it's got really good queer representation there's uh some disability representation wow yeah people of color like it's it's great
0: cool awesome hmm wow That sounds like an awesome week of reading. (laughs) Yep. Let's uh, dive in today's episode. Um, Wait. Oh.
1: I forgot to say what I'm reading right now.
0: (laughs) Oh, what are you reading right now? Sorry.
1: I just started The Diviners by Libba Bray. Okay. Which is kind of my kickoff to our spooky October reads.
0: Oh, yeah. You've been talking about this one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I'm hoping it's good because I've been wanting to read it for years now and I'm finally getting around to it.
0: And you're reading this one on Kobo, right?
1: Yeah, I'm reading it on my Kobo because I bought it, I think I bought it when I went to Scotland. Mm. And then I just haven't read it. Cool. So, yeah.
0: Well, now you're getting around to it.
1: (laughs) Now we can get to the
0: the body of the episode. (laughs) We're into some talking about books and stories. So, you know, I wanted to open this up with a question for you. What is like we're talking this week about how we experience stories. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important before we get into it, what is a story? What makes a story a story? Like what are the elements of a story, I guess, is what we need to cover. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Like when it comes to stories, what are the essential elements that create a story in your opinion?
1: Okay, well, I may be an editor. I mean, I am an editor.
0: You may be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am an editor, but I am not very confident in my own ability to define things. Okay. And so, as usual, I went to the dictionary. Oh. And Merriam-Webster defines a story as an account of incidents or events.
0: Hmm. An account of incidents or events. So, here's my thought on that definition of what a story is. hmm Because, yes, in the very literal sense... Of the of the word. A story is an account or a recount of things that either have happened or will happen or have been imagined. You know what I mean? But I would argue that you don't have to actually tell the events to tell a story. Like, there are tons of books where the... For example, like one of the... A really popular example of this is Harry Potter. And Harry Potter is an unreliable narrator because... He experiences things through his eyes. And so in order to get the full picture of the story, you have to kind of do a closer reading and see what's happening that Harry Potter isn't telling you about, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, yeah. In the world. But the story itself is an account of incidents or events.
0: True. But what happens when we apply this to things like board games? Like, do board games have stories?
1: I would say yes. You would say yes? Well, I mean, a lot of board games have background stories that set them up
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right well like for example we were just talking about scythe like take scythe for an example scythe doesn't tell you any of the events that happened leading up to you being in a post apocalyptic europe with mm-hmm. a struggle for the new ruler of power but it still feels like there's a story happening there
1: well you get the story through kind of the setup of the game through like all of the artwork and the different pieces and then the rules of actually how you play. It's like you're playing out the story. They've given you some context, Mm -hmm. albeit very little context, but they've given you context and then you kind of play it out.
0: See, this is like really interesting for me because as a person who plays lots of board games, something that I really value in a board game is when the theme actually impacts the game that's happening. Like another really interesting example of this is there's a game called Abyss. And in Abyss. We always joke about Abyss being just like underwater Star Wars because what it feels like is you're being, (laughs) you're trying to be the new Senate and uh, you're trying to take over and put the right people in the right places. You know what I mean? And so through the artwork and through the, I guess just the, so here's, here's the really interesting thing about the story of a board game is you perceive the story through the artwork what is presented in front of you that's visually there through the rules of the setup and then through the object of the game. And then you actually create the story through playing the game. So essentially it's like someone coming up to you and giving you a game prompt or sorry, not a game prompt, a story prompt. Like someone goes up to you and says, what if we were all underwater and we needed a new way to build cities? Do you know what I mean? There's a game that's called Underwater Cities, and all it is is you're just building underwater cities. And so you're creating the story of how we developed and created that technology. I actually haven't played Underwater Cities, so for anyone who has, sorry if this is off what actually happens in the game, but like what I imagine is it comes in, it tells you, we need new cities. You are a corporation or a political power in power. You're building the cities. How are you going to do it? And then it presents you with options that you can take to create the story of the cities. How do you feel like that fits in with this definition that we've got?
1: Um, I mean, board games is not necessarily an account of incidents or events. It's like you said, it's you actually playing out the incidents or events. So you are actually taking part in making that story happen.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that. Actually, I love that. We're taking part in the story, and it's really interesting to me here that we've come to this conclusion, because I was literally just thinking in my head, like, it's not so much, we're talking about how we experience stories, so obviously one of the ways that we experience stories is through the reading of a book, and I think that's something that you get... Or the experience of the story through watching a film. Like, someone presents you with a story. Or even the oral telling of a story of someone's past, you know? Mm -hmm. Someone is presenting you with a story. But I think something that a lot of our culture is really into today with, like, the rebirth of D&D as a format and, like, this resurgence of board games is... Something that people are being drawn to is the creation of the story. And not just the creation of a story in the form of writing, but the creation of a story in the form of real-time scenarios.
1: Like improvisation.
0: Improvisation. And not only that, but like the idea of, you know, if you ever think of like a futuristic history, like or even, no, just think of a video game. Like we, we've reached, and video games are now a popular thing that almost everyone on earth I would argue, has some form of experience with a video game now. Like, of course, they're not always going to be the best or most artistic or story-driven games, but everyone has an experience with playing a video game. And video games are, I think, a lot easier for people to see as a communal creation of a story, when as opposed to like a board game. Um, D&D being a tabletop role-playing game aside, because... That is literally the entire purpose of playing D&D is to create a uh, communal story based off of other people's actions. But I think, I think something that is really interesting about the way that we as a society experience stories today is we're very drawn to the unknown element of reaction and action, or even just improvisation. And we've done this in so many ways, and in, like, in board games, we set ourselves rules like, hey... Let's um, let's play a game where we have to fight each other. But here are the rules on how we fight each other. Everything else you can make up, but the rules. That's how you. That's how you fight each other. You know, like in D and D, it's like you still have to roll dice.
1: There are parameters.
0: Parameters, yeah. And so we're setting up scenarios.
1: It's almost like you know when you're like when authors are world building for a story, especially if you have magic in there, you have to have a set of rules that you follow in order for the magic to function Mm -hmm. properly.
0: Yeah. And this even applies to creative processes in real human beings for things that are not stories. Like we recently just went through um, an exercise in my entrepreneurship class where it was, okay, here's the box, right? Like here's, we're going to talk about a topic today. Say it's cybersecurity, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We're going to talk about that today, but here's the box. What's inside of it? Like when it comes to being inside the box of cybersecurity, you've got like, Oh, your regular antivirus, your firewalls, you've got, I don't actually know a lot about cybersecurity, but at passwords, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, let's step outside the box. These are your parameters. Don't do those things. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like setting limitations allows people to have a more creative or more, they it forces people to think more and more creatively about things. Yeah. And I think that's really important for creating a story, which is how we, one of the ways that we experience stories, whether it be through improvisation or through writing a story. You know what I mean?
1: It's interesting that you talk about too how when we play board games, we're actually participating in making a story happen. Like we're creating the events as we play through the game. When I think about playing board games, I actually don't know that I pay attention to the story that much when it comes to some games like if i think about abyss yes we call it underwater star wars <laughs> and i love the theming and the artwork is fantastic but when i'm playing abyss i don't actually think about the like goal what you're doing yeah like i just play to get points yeah you know what i mean and i
0: think i think that is that's not an incorrect way to play the game um i think that is a common way to play the game although I think it really says something about the game designer or the people who were in charge of that project if they if they do a good enough job with a theme that when you're playing the game you don't just forget about the story that you're creating you know what I mean like an example I mean obviously this is a slightly different scenario but Gloomhaven
1: that's the number one game actually that I was thinking about where I am like really focused on the story focused on the story focused on playing through the story yeah
0: and and I mean I think that really gets it because its roots are set. I'm not the designer, but I would imagine that Gloomhaven's roots are set in tabletop RPGs, you know, like they are, it is very reminiscent of the core gameplay style of what's actually happening on the table. And like the fact that there's literally a storybook that you read and then choose how to react to, um, and there's scenarios left and right, like, oh, this happens to you. How do you react? I mean, it limits you. In that you're only able to choose certain actions because they give you those certain actions, but it still does an amazing job of making you feel like you're creating a story. And one of the one of the most important things, which will actually segue into the next part that I wanted to talk about, is so one of the most important things in in Gloomhaven is and in creating that story feeling in Gloomhaven is the characters. Like mm-hmm. you are a character, you are playing as your character. Your character is kind of like this. Your character is this class because, uh, or kind of like this. Your character is this race of fantasy creature. And your character is this class. How do they see the world? How do they interact with it? And then it gives you hints through, oh, here are your cards. This is the things that they normally do. But you're welcome to try to figure out combinations between the cards to do new and incredible things, right? And that brings us into my next kind of question, which is, what makes a story interesting like what what draws people into stories and
1: now this is something that i think this is very subjective
0: yeah it is right? but i'm curious for you for me yeah what makes a story interesting to you
1: um i like characters characters that is my number one requirement for a good story is interesting characters if a story is plot driven but the characters are not interesting, not complicated. If they fall flat, if there's no character arc, then I will be bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care how good your plot is. If your characters suck, I'm gonna be bored.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, I I would argue that your idea of the fact that like characters are the most important part of a story is true and is probably the only thing that really matters in a story. If you view it from the fact that everything in your story should be or should have some aspect of a character in it. Like, if you think about, like, I love, for me, or when it comes to stories... It's the world. It's it's if you can immerse me in your world, oh, yeah. I'm going to love your story. It doesn't matter if your characters fall flat for me. If you can immerse me in the world, like one of the things I loved about Six of Crows is just the entire feeling of Ketterdam and the entire feeling of the ice vault. And like one of like one of my favorite scenes in that book is when I literally wanted to believe in the harsh grittiness of that world so much. That I was willing to accept a character death, like like there's there are there's a scene in that thing where
1: no spoilers,
0: yeah, no spoilers. Where, but it's just it's such an intense scene, and I was willing to accept like this character might die. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I wa- I I wanted to accept that because I was so immersed in that scene, in the creation of that scene, and in the world that it was happening in, that it was believable to me. And I think when it comes to characters. You know, I think a lot of people will automatically think that I'm talking about like, oh, like your protagonist, your antagonist, like the supporting characters around them. You know, think about the characters as just any element in your story that plays a, that has not necessarily even has agency that plays a part in your story. So like your world should be a character.
1: I like, I agree. Yeah. I read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I know it's a shock. But I read a lot and I, I like reading partially because it's escapism, mm-hmm. right? It takes you out of reality and puts you somewhere else. And if I read a such book- Such an
0: important story. Just that is such an important part of any story. Mm-hmm. Like I think if we think about what is it, yeah, just escapism is a huge part of how we experience stories. Sorry, continue.
1: Well, I was just going to say like, if the setting of a story is so strong that I feel like it's a character in and of itself- that will totally bump up a rating of a book for me because that is so good, you know? Like, some stories I remember not even because of their characters. I remember them because the setting is so Mm. atmospheric or...
0: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: for example, The Night Circus. That book is so intensely atmospheric and we finished it on audio, I think, at the beginning of this year. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna be honest with you, like, I remember some characters in that book, but... The characters and the storyline of that book kind of fade into the background for me. And what stands out is is the circus.
0: The circus. Yeah. Because the circus is a character. And oh my gosh, like, I love that you brought up the night circus. The night circus is so beautiful. And like the the story, like you said, like there is a plot and there is characters in it. But what you remember and what you experience and what I, I remember vividly is just the scenes where they're describing you going through the circus like there are scenes in that book where they're not even relevant to the story they're just described like the they they is the author
1: (laughs) aaron morgan aaron
0: morganston is just describing you walking through the circus
1: oh yeah yeah and
0: those scenes are what i remember like that is what i remember
1: for our listeners, I'm just going to give a quick kind of overview of The Night Circus in case you want to read it, which really, go read it. It's amazing.
0: Very, very good. And very good on audio.
1: Yes. Awesome on audio. Um, So The Night Circus is a book about the circus that moves around, and it's only open at nighttime. Mm-hmm. And there are these two magicians at the beginning of the novel who have kind of apprentices, I guess, that they're pitting against each other in this magic competition. And this magic competition is centered around the circus. And these magicians have to, I guess, kind of out magic each other by building different tents and different things and making different experiences for the people who come to the circus. So that's basically what the focus of the book is. But it's, like we've been saying, it's amazing and magical and so atmospheric.
0: Mm Mm-hmm so atmospheric and I had another story that did this really well for me oh I wanted to talk about I mean I'm drawing on the same books over and over again but uh, I wanted to talk about the Illuminae files and how because they I think they really do drawing you into the world and creating the world as a character in kind of an interesting way that I haven't I mean I don't read a lot of books but I haven't seen it done that way in that like the entire book happens on a ship and that ship has an AI. And that AI is an important, important character for the entire book. And it's a really interesting way. I've never because when we talk about bringing the world alive, I don't mean make your forests talk to me. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, I mean, like, draw me into your forest, create the parts of your forest that give me emotional attachment.
1: That's okay. So when I was talking about the Raven Cycle last week, Um, I was talking about the forest in Mm -hmm. that book and that forest to me, like I said, it to me was a character Yeah, because it's so strong and it has a personality
0: Mm -hmm. and it does things. It has like, I think it's so important to think of, I know we're talking about how we experience stories and we're just kind of now like saying, do this in your books. We want more of this, (laughs) (laughs) but like, like in, in the Illuminae files, like that ship and that AI... Take a character role in a way that like is so important and draws you into the book. The world feels like it is more real because that AI exists.
1: Mm -hmm. So basically what we want when we experience stories is to be so drawn in.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is why escapism is not necessarily like it's not necessarily healthy to always want to escape into a book. But I think it's an important part of how we experience stories. We want to... And and on that facet, let's talk about... Let's talk about stepping into other people's so- shoes and other people's perspectives and representation in books and, and in stories. Like, how important oh, wow. is it? How important is it to be able to actually just go into another book and escape my life entirely and experience it from someone else's completely different view?
1: That is so important.
0: So important. And so important for, like, just representation in general. Like...
1: Well, it's important for empathy, <laughs> yeah. for human compassion. For you to be able to really feel compassion for someone else, you have to be willing to set your own experiences and biases aside and think about what it's like to live as this other person. Mm-hmm. And that's why stories are so important.
0: Yeah, and that that requires, like, doing that requires, like, in a story at least, it requires some, some empathy and some willful disbelief of... You know, like in any fantasy, obviously you're going to need that. but even
1: suspended
0: disbelief. Yeah, suspension of disbelief. But even, you know, I would argue that like for anyone who, for example, I I don't want to say struggles with empathy, but like not everyone is the best at empathy. I would argue that even in a non-fantasy book, you're experiencing a point of view that is so different from yours that you need to be able to suspend your disbelief because you have to believe that this is a real reality that someone could live.
1: When I think about empathy... And feeling something that is not your own experience. For me, one of the books that I've read that did this so well was The Hate You Give by mm. Angie Thomas. Yeah. So in The Hate You Give, um, the main character, her name is Star. Um, she lives in kind of a... I don't want to say she lives in the hood, but she lives in a neighborhood with a lot of gangsters and, like, there are different gangs and...
0: Just a rough neighborhood. Oh, neighborhood. it's a rough
1: neighborhood, yeah. And then her best friend, well, I guess not her best friend, one of her friends from childhood, Khalil, in the first however many pages, like, this is the the kickoff of the story. They're driving in a car and he goes to reach for a hairbrush. Like, they get pulled over by a, a cop and he goes to reach for a hairbrush or something and the cop shoots him and he dies. Yeah, You know, and... It was just because he was black. That's why. And that story is a commentary on police brutality and racism right now. Mm -hmm. And that story for me, I mean, like I felt empathetic before, but that made it so real. Like I was on the verge of tears for the whole story, imagining what Star was experiencing and what all people, like, people experience that in real life. Mm-hmm. There are people who are afraid to call the cops. Like, I was listening, I think this was on Secret Feminist Agenda one time, they were talking about calling the cops, and they were saying, you know, as, like, a a middle-class white woman, I would have no problem calling the cops. If I feel in danger, my first thought is call 911, right?
0: Mm-hmm. But you
1: have to think about the consequences of that for someone else. Yeah. Like, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because the guy across the street looks shady to you? Well, why does he look shady? Is it internal racism? Is he actually doing something illegal? Like, what is going on? Because you don't want to call the cops and then ruin this person's life because you had one moment of discomfort based in some kind of discrimination or
0: you know one well, even if even if your discomfort comfort isn't necessarily based in discrimination like even if that person is doing something that is is illegal or is like I wouldn't say life threatening <laughs> please if someone is threatening your life probably call the cops yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like if you're experiencing something and that person is just doing something and it's illegal but you call the cops on them like say someone's just like Maybe drunk in public, right? That's not... A, that's... Sure, that's not okay, I guess. That's... I mean, I don't really care, I guess. But what if you call the cops on that person and then that escalates and then that person gets either hurt or gets life... Not life imprisonment, but like gets a sentence that is way over their, their crime. Like way too beyond their crime. Do you know what I mean?
1: Like you don't want to accidentally be responsible for someone's death or... Someone's being deported or separated. from Yeah, their exactly, or... exactly.
0: Like, what if what if that person just being drunk in public, like, you call the cops on them, and then because of their drunken state, they do something that is threatening to the cop, and they get shot. Like,
1: yeah, exactly, and not that it's your fault. Yes, but that it would. be... You have be... to be
0: aware of the consequences of that type of action.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that's bringing it back to the actual topic. That Sorry. is why no, but that is why stories are important. To be able to understand another person's life and the consequences of other people's actions, of your actions on someone else. Yeah.
0: So I I have written down here uh, just a question I was going to ask. Do stories matter? (laughs) But I think we pretty much answered that question. You know, like stories are super important for opening our eyes to other scenarios that are not our worldview, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, we've been talking about books for a while here, but I think something that, you can see through fantasy board games and through board games that any board game or video game or even oral story that is fictional, that is made up, but still ex- gives you some type of experience that you wouldn't normally have, I would argue is so important. And there's ways to like, for example, DD right now, there's so many people like Critical Role is making leaps and bounds for publicity, I guess, for D&D and for popularizing the format. And it's not just D&D. There's tons of other podcasts and video. I think one of the ones that I also know about is from uh, the Dawn or Knights of the Dawn clad. It's a YouTube channel. And he's been doing it for way longer than Critical Role, actually. But regardless, like like these people are... are Trying to experience and I think that's one of the really interesting things about stories and not like we talked about how we experience stories So we can experience stories through either someone telling us a story and through that can be through books or literature but something that's really important to me about creating stories is that's that almost takes you out of the Oh, I'm going to experience someone else's like it's harder because you're not you're no longer being told exactly how someone experiences something or you know what I mean? It's you not have to,
1: passive anymore. It's not passive.
0: You have to actively imagine how would this person react to this. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so I think, I think that's really important when it comes to D&D or to um, just any form of... Like if you're making a board game right now and you're listening to this podcast, please think about how you can involve story in your board game to make it so that people experience something in an active way Like board games are actually one of the, like, I would argue that it's easier. This is, this is really, um, I think this is a very difficult thing to pull off, but I think it's easier to make someone experience in an active way, someone else's point of view through a board game than it is through D and D because D and D requires the person to have some prior knowledge. Like if they're going to react, I wouldn't say properly, but like, if that makes sense, like you need to be a pretty empathetic and pretty, um, experienced person You might have needed to read a book that gives you an idea of what that person would react to. You know what I mean? Um, Not that you need that to play D&D. D&D is fun regardless. But like in a a board game, you can set out the rules. Like, no, this is how you would react. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, this is how the character that you are playing in this board game reacts. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's really, I think I'm, I'm excited just because of the resurgence of, of D&D and of board games and of the active participation and creation of story that I, I'm really excited to see how people practice their empathy. (laughs) Like, because instead of just um, experiencing it, you are creating it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see how that impacts our world. And if, if it does, I hope it does, but I'm excited to see how it does.
1: So shifting a little bit, but still on the same topic, Mm -hmm. what is, like, thinking about how we experience stories, I'm thinking of mediums now. Okay. So there's board games, there's TV, there's movies, there are video games, audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite way to experience a story in terms of the medium?
0: My favorite way to experience a story? You know, I honestly think that one of my favorite ways to experience a story is through so i want to say and i want to say through tabletop role-playing mm-hmm. but you know i think tabletop role-playing at least in my experience it's super fun but i think it's a lot it's a lot harder to be immersed in that story than f- say for example through a really well-developed and really story-driven video game like i obviously for me i think the best way to be immersed in a story is through through actually through audiobook or through book through reading something
1: you think that's the best way to be immersed
0: I think that's the most immersive way to get step into someone else's shoes because completely removing yourself from the story is and I mean obviously you can't completely remove yourself from the story which is why ways that give you agency in creation of the story are just in D&D no, just like in d d video games, anything. Okay. You still have agency in a video game. Obviously, your agency is really limited. And in a board game, you still have agency. But board games, it's so hard to accurately create a world that absorbs you in a story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I would argue that probably the hardest way to experience a story is a board game. (laughs) Actually, the easiest way to become immersed is through either oral or through written and oral could be audiobook or, you know, like just Mm -hmm. any story that is told to you because you are, I mean, I think it's obvious because there's just less of you in the book. You can obviously take what you are to the book, but the book exists regardless of what what you are. If that makes sense. Whereas in a tabletop role-playing game, the story doesn't exist outside of what you are. You have to bring the story to the tabletop role-playing game. And so for me, one of my favorite... I love creating stories. I love it. I love it so much. I love having that agency and that experience of feeling like I am participating in a story. So I would probably say tabletop role-playing games, but there are times when I... Like the most immersive for me is definitely someone telling me a story. In fact, I would even argue not even reading, just listening to someone tell me a story is the most immersive for me.
1: Okay, so that's the most immersive. But your favorite
0: would be D anD D. Is D anD D or tabletop role playing in general? Not okay. D anD D. D anD D is. Well, we're not also- an advertisement for Wizards of the Coast here. There are other ways <laughs> to experience tabletop role playing like games. Like Pathfinder. Like Pathfinder. Like uh, Terror, I think is one of them. There's one where you play with a Jenga block and then yeah i'm not even joking you play with so you have dice but you have this jenga block and jenga block jenga tower and every time you do something that is extremely terrifying you have to pull something out of the yeah you have to pull a block out of the tower and if you if the tower (laughs) falls over your character has a heart attack and dies Oh my so like, like, it's it's just a way to experience that like actual sheer terror that your, your character is experiencing. Okay. Because you're that not game... only in like a really immersive, oh my gosh, my character is dealing with a werewolf right now. You're also dealing with, I might just shake and fall apart.
1: That game is not for me.
0: <laughs> I, but like, do you see what I mean? Anyways, there are ways to experience tabletop role playing games that are not D&D. D&D is just probably the most popular. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, what's your favorite way to experience a story? Oh. Medium
1: books, hands down.
0: Absolutely. I I knew this.
1: I I mean, there is a reason why I am an editor and not an author, and that is because I do not enjoy the active element of storytelling. I don't want to be the one telling the story. I want to be the one experiencing the story. Yeah. And that's why I love editing, because I get to help authors hone their skills and sharpen up their writing so that their readers can experience the story in the best way possible. Yeah. And that is what I like. I love being just drawn in. I love, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience because you don't read as often as I do, but I love the experience of reading a book to the point where you are so into it that when you close that book and come back into reality, you're disoriented.
0: You know, I, I don't think I've experienced that necessarily through a book. Well, no, actually I have. Six of Crows gave me that in one very specific scene that I've already kind of talked about. Mm -hmm. I've experienced it through tabletop role-playing though. Really? Like I have been playing a role-playing game where I was so drawn in. Like I was not the DM in this one. This was one of my original Pathfinder games. Like I have been so drawn into what was happening and to seeing how people were reacting that like I got out of it and I was like, man, that was weird. (laughs) That was like... That felt like I was literally there, which was...
1: That's the best experience to me. Yes. That's what I want. I want to be not myself when and I'm reading. And we're writing.
0: all just chasing that
1: high. <laughs> <laughs> we're all just addicts sure. to stories. <laughs> um, something else that I was thinking about, too, yeah. when um, we're thinking about how we experience stories, specifically when it comes to reading, uh, people experience reading so differently. Oh, my gosh. Like, when I read... I see it as kind of a movie playing out in my head. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I can picture everything so clearly, but I also read, I don't read super quickly, but I'm not a slow reader either.
0: Oh, you're, babe, you're a fast reader, I would argue.
1: Well, maybe. I have friends who read
0: faster than I maybe do. Maybe just compared to me.
1: <laughs> but anyway, um, like I I take in the details, but I don't read them slowly. So sometimes I'll miss things, but I still manage to get a picture in my head, like a fully fleshed out picture of, you know, the room or the setting The one thing that I don't picture when I read is people's faces. Mm. It's the same thing when I dream though, which I find interesting. Like I will see people's hair color and like I'll get a general idea of what their body looks like, but I don't usually see someone's face. It's almost like I can get a glimpse of certain facial features at times, but I never have like a a really fleshed out picture of someone's face in my brain.
0: You know, I I don't know if I ever really have a very fleshed out picture of someone's face in my brain when when i'm reading either like i don't know why that is you know even i wonder if there's a psychological reason for that i don't know psych majors who listen to this
1: yeah come tell us us.
0: yeah tell us why that is
1: tell us why we can't picture people's faces
0: it's actually kind of creepy when you think about it like you're just picturing (laughs) like a faceless thing
1: but like when so when you read do you does it play out as a movie as well for you or
0: you know i'm not sure I think when I'm reading, I'm not picturing or experiencing a a movie. I think it's when I think back at what I read, that's when I experience it. Interesting. So when I read, the most vivid thing that comes through to me usually, I think, is actually the emotions. I want to experience the emotions and I want to experience that. When it's characters, if they're describing a... Like I rarely picture a character, if that makes sense. Like I don't, ever? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that I really picture like when they're describing a a person or a character to me mm-hmm. in the book. I think I rarely, rarely actually picture what that character is. Interesting. Um, I will picture clothing. I will picture everything except for the body. That sounds weird. Like I'll picture clothing. I'll picture their sword if they have a sword. And I'll picture the entire like I love it when people describe the the surroundings vividly to me. Like as we've already it's like talked my freaking, about. It's like crack for me. <laughs> but like like I don't think I'll ever really picture a character. I will picture their emotions. Like I I won't I and by picture their emotions, I mean like I will experience their emotions. If they're describing something that is extremely traumatizing, I think I'll experience that. I won't experience I won't think of the character or their face or what their body is doing when they're experiencing that. I'll just think of their emotion. That's cool. I mean, it's weird, (laughs) but yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I've never thought about it, really. Okay. Cool.
1: Let's do our recommendations of the week. Warren, what is your recommendation this week?
0: You know, I haven't even thought about my recommendation this week. Um, Okay, off
1: the top of your head, what would you recommend?
0: I recommend checking out Untitled Goose Game. (laughs) I have not played this game, um, but I really want to. So I want to experience it vicariously through you. (laughs) Sorry, say, what were you saying? I
1: was just saying, this game looks hilarious. Oren has been playing videos of this game. Oh my gosh. Honestly, you play a goose who just runs around and basically terrorizes townspeople.
0: Oh my gosh. It looks so good. So what it is, is um, it's actually like a stealth game. (laughs) You are a goose trying to sneak up on people and either surprise them or steal their things. Or, like, you actually, like, you have, like, a really nicely handwritten list of things that you are trying to do to ruin other people's days. And you are just a goose running around, being a jerk, stealing people's keys, knocking them over... Um, replacing their porcelain goose statue with yourself. And then when they come up to examine it, honking in their face and knocking them over, like you're just doing like it. And it's, it seems so simple, but like, it just looks so fun to me. And, um, I think the reason I'm super drawn to this is again, because of stories I'm drawn to the world. Like it's just some nice English town and you're a goose Running around, like, you don't know anything about the goose, but you know that you're trying to destroy people's days.
1: This is just the funniest concept to me. Like, someone had this thought, oh, let's make a game where you're a goose and you terrorize people.
0: Yeah. Like, someone was <laughs> just like, you know, goose are, geese are evil. I mean, what they if, are. What if you were the goose? <laughs> Anyways. That's
1: a whole different kind of empathy oh, right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's, um, what's your um, recommendation of the week?
1: My recommendation of the week is kind of geared towards any of you guys who are writers. So I have a friend, an editor friend on Twitter. Her name is Erin Service, and she is starting a program called Nano Survival and Success. So if you guys know about uh, NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, it's in November. The goal is to finish like a 50,000 word novel in one month. Ooh. Yeah. And so a lot of people prep for this and plan all year for this and then write this novel and then you win if you finish your novel. I've never actually participated because like I said, I'm not much of a story creator. But so anyway, Aaron is kind of hosting this program. It includes a 60 plus page workbook for Preptober. So that's when you prep in October. Ooh. Yeah, it includes worksheets about plot and scene building, character building, setting creation, point of view selection, word count trackers, self-care guides, and more. Wow. Which, I mean, to be honest, I kind of want to do
0: just this program
1: it. just because of that workbook, because yeah. that appeals to me. Yeah, no, I get um, that.
0: That sounds like you.
1: Yeah, it also includes one-on-one coaching via phone or Skype personal email coaching, motivational email blasts with writing tips and inspiration and bonuses when the draft is complete. So some bonuses you can get like, if when your draft is complete from her, you can get a free manuscript evaluation on the first 50 pages. You can get the first 50 pages free for a future editing package. So that's a really good deal.
0: Not for me. I'm not a writer. No, but, but... if you're
1: a writer and you want to do NaNoWriMo, this is something that you really should look at. Like, especially if you are serious about getting this novel finished and you want to get it published, this is a great road to take. So you can find Erin uh, on Twitter at Grammar Party, and I will also put all of her information and a link in the show notes.
0: So oh, there will also be, so in the show notes, there will be next to NaNoWriMo Goose Game <laughs> because it's an untitled goose game and you should try being a goose for me because I can't play the game. So definitely do that. All right, cool. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Hobby Shelf.
1: That was definitely my line. That
0: was definitely Brenna's line. Go I'll ahead. just
1: cut that out and fix it sorry thank you for listening to episode three of the hobby shelf we hope you enjoyed it and we would greatly appreciate if you would click that subscribe button rate us and leave us a review
0: do it. Leave the review. You can find us on Twitter at the Hobby Shelf, or you can send us an email at thehobbyshelfpodcast@gmail.com. You can also find us at Brenna's website, brennadavieseditingcom slash Shelf, uh, where we are now hosting the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in listening there, you can. And all the books and games mentioned in this show will be in the show notes with our recommendations.
1: We are grateful to record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina, the Stony kota nations the metis nation of region three and all people who make their homes in the treaty seven region of southern alberta where we live play and work listen to our next episode when we talk about spooky books and games (laughs) i'm really excited
0: for that i'm also excited for that one awesome remember keep expanding your shelf